Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. The TCOID conference is coming up April 12th at the Hawaii Convention Center from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Registration's going on now. If you or a loved one has diabetes, this is a one-day crash course on all you need to know on how to manage diabetes Topics such as ways to protect your kidneys, insulin for type 2 diabetes, insulin pumps for type 1 diabetes, how to use meters, what to do with the results, along with integrating holistic health using nutrition and herbs for diabetes treatment, this is all in one day. This is a particular conference that's put on every year called the Taking Care, Taking Control of Your Diabetes Conference, and it's run and founded by Steve Edelman. He was on our show last year talking about this upcoming event. It's going to be at the Hawaii Convention Center. You can register now. You can go to tcoyd.org. You can call 1-800-998-2693, and you can find out more about it. This is going to take place on April 12th, and it's going to be from 9 to 5. The registration includes lunch and several other items, which it sounds like a great idea. If you or a loved one has been recently diagnosed with diabetes, this is a way to really learn things that would take you weeks to learn about how to control it. And it really is an engaging conference. Every time that I've had people go, they've always come back and said, fantastic event. Now, you'd wonder, speaking of diabetes, what else are we talking about today? Today, our risk factors are things we're going to discuss for peripheral arterial disease, or PAD. You might have seen it in the commercials recently. You can see it on TV, and you might be familiar with it. Or its other friend, atherosclerotic vascular disease. What do all these big words mean? Well, today we're going to find out. My guest in the studio, Dr. Elna Masuda, vascular surgeon and specialist at Straub Clinic, along with Darcy Kessler, the woman behind the ultrasound wand an expert in helping to figure out if people have disease. They're both in the studio here to tell us more about the signs and symptoms of blockages in the arteries to all different parts of the body, some that may not give symptoms in the early stages. However, it's very important, such as arteries to the brain, kidneys, legs, and other organs. If you or someone you love has been diagnosed with peripheral arterial disease, blockages to the arteries, legs, even the ones to the brain called the carotids, this is the show for you. You can join us anytime at 941-3689 on Oahu, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Dr. Elna Masuda, Darcy Kessler, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Now, you know, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, we all know these things are things that we need to control because they have consequences. One of the consequences can be blockages in the arteries. And we've talked before with cardiologists, we've heard about how this can affect your heart, but there's a lot of other organs that can be affected by blockages in arteries. Dr. Elna, what are some of these areas of the body that we should be worried about, about blockages? Well, I think you pointed it out uh, well, and that is the uh, the legs. That's a very uh, common location for blockages, particularly um, at the thigh level, and it can be any at any level of the legs. But some of the classic uh, symptoms to look out for is pain with walking, what we call claudication, and 
depending on the level of the blockage, uh, you could have pain in the calves particularly. Occasionally it's in the thigh area or occasionally it's up in the hip area. But the the classic finding or, uh, or uh, things to notice would be you when you walk a certain distance and you develop the pain, when you stop, the pain usually resolves in a few minutes. It doesn't take an hour or two to resolve like some other causes of pain, such as uh, musculoskeletal causes. And when you start walking again, the pain usually resumes at that same distance that you originally uh, noticed the pain. So if you notice that you're walking, and it's not like walking makes the pain go away. In fact, in this case, walking makes the pain come. And if you walk 200 feet and then you start to feel these cramping pains in your calves, you might stop, take a breath, sit on a park bench or something. But boy, you go to get up and do it again, another 200 feet, here you go, blockages again. They're, now, what exactly are the blockages doing? Are they restricting blood flow to the muscle? Is that why you're getting cramping? Why do we worry about blockages? Exactly. It's the lack of blood to the organ that's trying to do the work. So it's a supply and demand issue where you have a demand for more blood or oxygen as you exercise, and the supply is uh, restricted by the uh, blockages and it's not getting to the muscle. So let's say you have symptoms like this. How do you know? Darcy, you do a lot of testing for people in the office. If somebody says, you know, I go to walk around Kapilani Park or I go to walk at Alamoana and I have these symptoms and I feel like, you know, after I go several hundred feet, then I have to stop. Is there anything that they would be able to detect at home or what do you do to help them realize that this is actually because of blockages in arteries? What kind of testing is involved? Well, primarily uh, patients who present to their, let's say, PCP with uh, claudication-type symptoms uh, would start off with a good physical examination, uh, assessment of symptoms, uh, palpating pulses to see if you can actually feel pulses at different levels. And uh, for that, we'll be checking the pulses at the groin, at the knee, and uh, at the ankle, and at the top of the foot. Uh, loss of pulse would be one of the symptoms that we would be looking for. Uh, in male, we t uh, males, we tend to see uh, in the chronic stages of disease, we start to see hair loss in the lower extremity, uh, especially in the gator zone, which is the sort of the sock area of the leg. Uh, sometimes you'll see some atrophic changes in the, in the toenails as well. Uh, once uh, they've been assessed by a primary care physician, the next step would be to order diagnostic testing. Uh, so one of the more simpler tests that we do is called an ankle brachial index. Uh, it's a very simple test. It takes five minutes to do. And basically what we would do is uh, take a blood pressure in both arms, and then we would take pressures in the legs as well and compare the two. Uh, the resting pressure in the leg should be higher than the arm. If it's lower, uh, then we know based on that ratio if there is a blockage present. Um, sometimes what we will do is to take that a step further and a patient who presents with symptoms but has a resting normal pressure is to go ahead and exercise them. Uh, one of the ways that I do it is to have patients do toe raises. Uh, and usually within a minute or so, most patients who have uh, positive tests will start to have the claudication type symptoms. Um, and then at that point, what we would see is a drop in the pressure in the leg. So why would leg pressure be higher? Uh, it takes more force. You're going, you're going a further distance from the heart to the lower extremity. So as the further down you go in the leg, you'll see So the, the further pressure. down you'll see a higher pressure. Correct. Okay. Correct. And then toe raises. If somebody just said, okay, I'm at home right now. I mm -hmm. want to know if I have this symptom. They could just do a bunch of toe raises. And if they go, ow, this is really not comfortable, mm -hmm. that's something to bring up. 
That is definitely something to bring up. Although I will tell you, I like to do my toe raises along with my patients, um, and many so times. So you're good at it by now. I'm well, sure. and many times I will tell you that we we will be. Uh, I am not claudicating per se, but I w- will manifest some pain in my lower extremities as well at the same time. So it is it's, it is a very quick way to stress the muscles in the calf. Um, you know, some patients you can you can go ahead and walk them around or put them on a treadmill, but. You know, for patients who can walk a mile or two before they get any symptoms, you know, it becomes quite cumbersome and time-consuming. Now, Dr. Elna, if you can walk a mile or two and then you get claudication, could you have a serious blockage in the arteries if you can walk a mile or two? Or is this something that if you can walk yourself two miles, you're probably okay? Is there a way to look at distance and be able question. to determine severity? And we get asked that a lot. It's... If you can walk a mile or two, you even if you had claudication, it's considered mi- very mild. And it's when and we would not recommend any intervention for that except for some lifestyle modifications which are basically if you're a smoker, stop smoking. Um, tr- you should reduce you know, watch your diet and reduce your diet to low cholesterol diet and eating more vegetables and fruits and it's, uh, it's an exercise daily. The best treatment for claudication is exercise. So generally speaking, about five times a week, make it, uh, make it uh, an effort to walk a certain distance, and that distance varies. If you have pain or true vascular claudication, let's say at one block, it's advised to walk up to that block, and, de- and if you, when you develop the pain, walk through the pain. Uh, we get asked this question often that once I get the pain doctor, is that am I hurting myself? Is this not a good thing? And literally, you are hurting yourself. You're hurting, but you're not harming yourself. And the point being is that if you walk through the pain on a regular basis, before you know it, uh, you'll be walking farther and farther uh, with uh, with no pain up to a, a farther distance. And about forty percent of people that. Uh, have a lifestyle modification with daily exercise will get a lot better in about three to six months. So it takes time, but it's possible. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Elna Masuda, vascular specialist and Darcy Kessler. She is an expert with helping to diagnose and determine if someone has vascular disease. If you or somebody you love have been told that they have problems with blood flow, whether it be to their legs or to some other areas, You know, have you figured out something that helps and works for you? You can join us. Give us your suggestion at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. Now, Dr. Elna, you mentioned something really important, which is walk through the pain. Because at some point, sometimes if your body doesn't get blood flow through the arteries that it does have, is it true that sometimes it can develop what we call collaterals or little extra pathways, kind of like a way around that blockage if necessary, if you keep walking and pushing your body to to go beyond that level of pain. Does that happen? That's, that is correct. Uh, your body will naturally want to create its own bypasses around the blockages by, by having uh, growing these vessels or at least enlarging these collateral blood vessels like a, like a bypass in a freeway would. We would all like to have bypassed the freeway this morning. (laughs) Traffic was horrible. But okay, so it's like a little detour. If you can find another way to provide blood flow to that area, if you walk through that discomfort, that 
we call it claudication, but that pain in your calf, mm -hmm. then you may actually grow new blood vessels. That's a pretty darn convincing reason for why you should do it. Absolutely. All right. We've got a caller on the line. We have Brody from Waimea. Brody, welcome to The Body Show. Hey, yeah, I got a question for you. I've been doing, um, I just enrolled myself in CrossFit here. Okay. And I keep talking to my instructors about telling them, you know, because I've got high blood pressure and um, I've got high cholesterol and everything. So I went into them hoping that, I, you know, they might be able to help me out. And I kept asking them about, you know, I need to eat more fruits and vegetables. And they keep telling me, no, 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 you don't eat fruits and vegetables and you don't eat grains. You don't eat that. You eat mostly meat. And they keep telling me, just eat meat, only protein, no grains, and no um, fruits, especially no fruits, and some vegetables. So I'm getting, you know, all these different information coming to me. Well, it's an interesting question, Brody, and I think part of what you're discussing is when you go to a place like CrossFit, they definitely want to help you to work out, to tone your body, to lose some weight if you need to, to try and make your metabolism work really well, but they're not necessarily nutritionists. And so, you know, but when they we talk- told me that they were. Well, you know, there's a certification that you can get that's a registered dietitian, and usually people who have that certification work at medical centers, and the or, you know, they may have a private company, but, you know, when you talk about eliminating a certain type of food, like fruits and vegetables, for example, that would not be something that a true dietitian would recommend unless there were certain circumstances. You know, if you have diabetes, you certainly have to be careful with the type of fruits and vegetables that have high amounts of sugar. So believe it or not, carrots have more sugar. Um, certainly potatoes do and bananas do, mangoes do. There's other things like strawberries and blueberries that don't have as much sugar. But, you know, what you're describing is sort of mimicking something that was out in uh, the society a few years back called the Atkins diet, where everything was high protein and wasn't necessarily a balanced diet of carbohydrates, whether they be the good carbs or not. Certainly, it wasn't very balanced. And so I guess my message to you is I, I would be careful with getting nutritional advice from a gym unless you're talking with somebody who's looked at your blood testing. And, and you know, I would talk with your doctor about what sort of diet you want to go on because going on just a, a high-protein and meat diet can have negative consequences to your arteries. And one of the things we're talking about today is having problems with blockages in your arteries. And certainly, Dr. Masuda, and somebody who, who has been diagnosed with blockages per se, wouldn't we suggest that they kind of not eat as much of the meat? They would kind of look more towards things that wouldn't be high in fat that would lower the amount of cholesterol in their body? Yes, I believe that is absolutely right because when you think about it, the um, the cholesterol is really a major factor in uh, in creating these blockages and creating atherosclerosis. So, if you look at the the food products that we're in consuming, it's pr primarily it's the meats that have the highest fat level, whereas vegetables and fruits don't. So, I think we're I think the Importance is that uh, one should really approach it as a balanced, healthy diet. And I think even sticking to one type of f food um, source would be not advised. 
Well, and Brody, good job. I mean, you're you're exercising CrossFit, and that's very difficult, and it's very demanding for your body. And to build muscle, certainly suggesting you eat protein is, is an excellent idea. Suggesting that you avoid other sorts of healthy uh, areas of your diet, probably not something I would follow unless you talked with your doctor or you talked with your primary care provider and you reviewed your labs and you discussed it with a nutritionist. I, I would just be a little careful on that one because you might see the results you want with the CrossFit but there's really some questions as far as how that might affect your body, meaning the rest of your metabolism and everything. So just be careful. If, if somebody says this is the best thing for you and it makes sense and you try it and you do well and you're monitoring these measurements and, and you're not otherwise having any medical concerns, good. But you mentioned the blood pressure and the cholesterol. So you, you've got to watch that one as far as the, the meats are concerned. So be careful, but keep exercising. It's a great idea. Now, Dr. Masuda, when we talk about people who are concerned about blockages, we mentioned cholesterol. Darcy, when you do these tests, what are you actually seeing? If you're doing the ankle brachial index mm -hmm. you mentioned or ABIs, you're seeing a change in blood pressure. What about some of the tests that use ultrasound? Can you actually physically see blockages in arteries like going to the brain or going elsewhere? Can you physically see them? Oh, most definitely. Uh, we can even categorize the type of cholesterol or blockages that are in the blood vessel. We can differentiate atherosclerosis versus clot. Um, and so with the advent of high-resolution ultrasound, um, we've really been able to take our diagnostic capabilities a lot further in the last 20 or 30 years. Uh, when I first started doing ultrasound, we had no color flow. Uh, we were simply doing grayscale ultrasound, which is your traditional ultrasound. Uh, in the late 80s, the color came along and really revolutionized what we were able to do. Um, and so as, as time has moved along, ultrasound has become a very important part uh, in vascular diagnosis uh, and is at the front line as far as uh, providing uh, important data as far as treatment uh, and also following up patients who've had interventions done. So interventions meaning Bypasses. doing something to get the blockages out. Exactly. Okay. So we, uh, on a regular basis, you know, it's not once, once we, uh, a patient comes into our vascular service, uh, we pretty much develop a long-term relationship with them. So we move from a simple diagnosis to treatment and then to long-term follow-up. So we see these patients on a regular basis because this is not uh, a problem that is cured by simple surgery. You know, this is sort of a lifestyle or a lifetime uh, type of thing that we're dealing with. And so these patients need to be followed very closely. So that gets to diabetes, cholesterol, blood pressure, lifestyle habits like smoking, exercise. Yes. All of those things contribute to basically the health of the wall of the artery. Exactly. And if those things aren't changed, even though you take a blockage out, you may still develop it again if you haven't worked on the reason why you got it to begin with. Oh, precisely. I mean, uh, you know, we have made uh, astounding changes in, in the way we we treat vascular disease, you know, with minimally invasive stents and balloons and, and such. Uh, but it really is the type of thing where the patient has to participate in their own care. And so as, uh, Dr. Masuda, being a surgeon, uh, can do wonderful things, but uh, the patients still have to participate in their own health, which means, you know, making the lifestyle changes that are going to be important uh, in preventing recurrence of disease and pr uh, prevention of uh, new disease developing. 
All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with some experts. I've got Dr. Elna Masuda. She is a vascular surgeon. If you've got a blockage, she might be able to fix it. And Darcy Kessler, and she is an expert with ultrasound. And if you want to know if you have a blockage, she's the one you see. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about what are the consequences if you don't take care of these blockages? Are we talking about strokes? Are we talking about infections? What really can happen? You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. On New Letters on the Air, Janice Harrington discusses her poetry books with New Letters magazine editor Robert Stewart, including The Hands of Strangers, Poems from the Nursing Home. Maybe ugliness and horrible things serve a purpose because they make you think about and contemplate the bigger, larger issues. Janice Harrington and her poetry next time on New Letters on the Air. Tuesday evening at 6.30, following Marketplace. It's a first for Hawaii, a new clinic to treat neuromuscular disease with physical, occupational, and speech therapy all under one roof. Adriana O'Donnell, head of the Muscular Dystrophy Association, sits down with Beth Ann Koslovich to talk about it tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation. Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio. Today we are talking with Dr. Elma Masuda, vascular surgeon, Darcy Kessler. She is a master of ultrasound and vascular diagnostics. They both work at Straub Clinic and Hospital. And we're talking about blockages, arterial blockages. Why do you get them? How can you make them go away? And how can you make them never come back? Plus, what are the consequences if you don't do anything, really? You can join our conversation at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. Before we discuss more about the consequences of what can happen if we don't treat blockages, we've got Charles in the line from Kailua. Charles, welcome to The Body Show. Hello. Hello. <clears throat> what can we do for you? Um, I just wanted to make a quick comment on your last caller about the he's starting CrossFit, which is great. But the diet information, um, them telling him to eat, you know, no fruit and no vegetables and just a lot of meat. I mean, I don't know if his, his trainers just aren't that good or they just didn't inform him that well about their diet plans. But I, I, I've personally done CrossFit and their diet for eight years. And it's, it's mainly just, you know, a lot of lean meats more towards, like, the grass-fed or the knife, the better, like, free-range chicken and things. And then, you know, your good vegetables, and you do eat fruit, just the mainly the lower-sugar fruits, like you were saying, like more berries, and you eat more nuts and things like that. So it, it is a well-rounded diet, just a little less of the higher sugars and no grains and such. Well, I want to thank you, Charles, for the clarification, because certainly we know when people are told to eliminate a complete source in their diet, whether it be carbohydrates or protein or or fats, you know, there can be consequences. But you're right. You know, sometimes people may not completely understand the idea of what a healthy, balanced diet is. But it certainly sounds like you've done this for a while, and I assume that you're doing really well. 
And you did mention lean meats and good vegetables, lower, sometimes we refer to the glycemic index as how quickly your body absorbs sugar and turns it into uh, something in your bloodstream like glucose and, and how does that affect your body and how does it affect your metabolism and weight gain, et cetera. So you're right, sticking with some basics like lean meats and vegetables and the lower sugar and lower glycemic index fruits great plan. So I'm happy to hear that you've done CrossFit and you kind of got a different message. It certainly leads me to believe that there's a lot of variability in what people might feel like they're being told, but in general, they're trying to follow a good diet. So thanks for clarifying that for us, Charles. Thank you. All right. So let's talk about what the consequences are. Because, you know, even Charles said, listen, he's doing CrossFit, he's eating lean meats, he's trying to keep his health going in general. What if you don't? What if you have these symptoms and you're walking, you're 200 feet and you get the symptoms of the cramping and tightness in your calves and you've got claudication, you don't tell your doctors, you don't see Darcy get the testing done. What are the consequences? Dr. Masuda, what if you do nothing? What happens? Well, uh, Kathy, the concern is that your disease will progress and you can get to a level where there may be serious consequences, including uh, limb loss. So amputation. Amputation of the limb. If you get no blood flow to your foot and you get an infection and you can't heal it. Correct. If you continue to smoke, um, if you have diabetes that is not well controlled, before you know it, the blockages will spread and you may get compromise of blood flow to your foot to the point that you may find yourself having pain not only with walking but at night when you're sleeping and you have to wake up and swing your leg over the side of the bed and and let the blood get to the toes and uh, relieve the pain at night, what we call rest pain. Um, Or you could develop a sore on the foot that doesn't heal and could may or may not be painful, but as it doesn't heal, it may grow, and the toe ulcer and the foot ulcer can become worse to the point where you may, again, need an amputation of the limb. So it is a serious consequence to not really taking the steps to uh, caring for yourself. And so really, if you have any question, go see your doctor, go see your primary care provider, get your cholesterol, blood sugar, and and blood pressure under control. And if you have any of these symptoms... You're risking serious. You're risking limb loss if you don't do something about it. You may actually have an amputation, and I'm sure you've seen that and unfortunately had to do that surgery for folks who have been in a situation where they've really lost the ability to provide blood flow to parts of their body like the foot. Right. And I I tell my patients, particularly with diabetes and smoking, that you usually can't do too much for the diabetes, but they can do something about the smoking, and it, it will make a difference in most instances, if they stopped the latter. So smoking is a no-no. Absolutely. Just if you want good arteries and you want good blood flow, just don't smoke. Correct. What about e-cigarettes? There's not as many toxins. It's just nicotine. If it's a step to get off of smoking, it's okay. If it's a something you're going to do all the time, don't go there. I, I you're making a funny you. face. I think I, don't I, go there. I, no, mm. I, I think you're. I think you're right. The e-cigarettes. In my practice, at least, they help most people try to stop their smoking habit, but there's a certain percentage that continue to use the e-cigarettes as their ongoing habit, in which case I think they continue to have an ongoing risk. Because it causes constriction of some of those blood vessels, and 
if you're having a problem with getting blood there, you don't want to make the, the artery smaller. That's kind of the opposite of what you want to do. Correct. And the canyon, smoking in general is a risk factor for blood clots as well. So that's another Which is the other thing. Sure, don't get a clot in a narrowed artery. Now you're asking for double trouble. Exactly. All right. Well, we've been talking a little bit about blood flow to the legs. There's another area that's really important that I want to mention, and that's blood flow to the brain. So there are these things called the carotid arteries, and there's one in the back called the vertebral artery. And if you've got a blockage in one of those, then we're talking serious problems. We're talking things like strokes which people may be familiar, can often make people not able to move parts of their body, arms or legs, or speak correctly, or swallow, etc. How would you diagnose a blockage in the arteries to your brain? Darcy, is there a test that you can do? We talked about advances in ultrasound. If someone were to say, you know, I'm worried, everyone in my family had strokes, I have diabetes, I have high cholesterol, I have high blood pressure, I'm doing my best, let's hope they're not a smoker, how would you diagnose or how would you know if they had blockages in those carotid arteries? Well, uh, again, ultrasound would be the primary tool in, in, that we would utilize to look at the carotid arteries on uh, either side of the neck and the vertebral artery, which provides posterior circulation to the brain. Um, usually, most of our patients get referred uh, for ultrasound are either have some type of neurologic symptom uh, which they would present with a sudden weakness, numbness, or paralysis to one side of the body, uh, slurred speech, a loss of speech, a difficulty finding words. So like stroke symptoms. Stroke symptoms. Or even TIA. What would be called TIA. Temporary stroke Correct. symptoms. Okay. Now, these are symptoms that present themselves but then resolve completely without any what we call neurologic deficits in the long term. Uh, whereas uh, strokes uh, can leave permanent deficits like the inability to move half of your body, uh, inability to speak, uh, facial droop, uh, loss of vision, that kind of thing. Um, and then the other half of the patients that we see are what we call asymptomatic patients who present uh, with what's called sometimes is a carotid brewy. Uh, and when your physician listens to the arteries in your neck uh, and they hear a little bit of a swishing sound, uh, that can present uh, itself and le lead us to believe that there may be a blockage there. Um, basically, what, what it is is if you take a garden hose and you kink it a little bit and you feel that vibration, that's what a brewy sounds like. You're hearing a vibration present. Uh, and that will present itself if there is at least... 50% blockage, you will start to hear a little bit of a brewery, which will get louder as the uh, percentage increases. However, when you get above 90% or greater, you actually won't hear that sound. So, you know, it's, it's sort of in that mid to severe range that you're going to hear that sound. Uh, and we get many patients who are referred for, for that as well. Uh, although some of them don't have blockages, some of them uh, present with carotid breweries who have heart murmurs uh, or just a curve in the vessel that causes a little bit of a vibration that we can hear. So how do you do the test? Is it a painful test? If somebody says, oh, no, I've been told I have to go get this ultrasound. Do I need needles? Do I need injections? Is it a very simple test? Takes a few minutes? No, none of that involved? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very simple test. Takes no more than 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, it involves no, no radiation whatsoever. It's very comfortable for the patient. Uh, basically, what we would do is have the patient come in, do a, a quick uh, assessment, ask them all of the questions. Do you have any of these symptoms, weakness, numbness? Uh, we would then go ahead and uh, move on to the diagnostic portion of the test. And basically, you lay in a bed, you turn your head from side to side. It takes about 10 or 15 minutes to do each side, uh, and the results are immediate. And you get an answer, blockage or no? 
Correct. And if so, percentage of blockages. Now, Dr. Masuda, if somebody has a very small percentage of blockage, maybe 10%, 20%, they may not need to do anything in particular other than if they do have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, et cetera, manage those things. But what if they have that 50 to 60% blockage? When do you consider doing something surgical versus let's monitor you and check you? Right. The... Um the, sur- the surgery is reserved for an individual who presents with a high risk for a stroke. Obviously, we're not going to f- do a surgery and they're going to feel better. The whole purpose is preventive. We're trying to prevent them from having uh, a major event. So we generally wait till the blockage gets to be significant, which is, which is uh, for asymptomatic people or people who have had no prior stroke or transit or mini strokes. Uh, about 80% blockage uh, or, or or higher and then they would be they would qualify for at least be considered for a carotid surgical procedure to remove the blockage again to prevent stroke so if you're in the 50 to 60% you could probably manage those other lifestyle risks Correct. you might need to take a cholesterol medicine even if you think your blood cholesterol is good if you've developed a blockage in a major artery you need to do something to stabilize that and not let that progress any further. But when you're talking about the 80% or higher, that's when you're looking at doing surgical procedures. Now, what is involved in doing this? They call it a carotid endarterectomy. It sounds like a big word, but really it's like a carotid cleanup. What do you do during that procedure? What exactly is involved? Well, it is a major operation under general anesthesia, and incisions made along the uh, side of the neck, the blood vessels are exposed. There's uh, certain medications we give to prevent blood clotting. Uh, blood vessels are clamped. We sometimes put something called a shunt, which is like a little plastic tubing that bypa- bypasses the surgical site, so it allows blood to continue to perfuse the brain while we're operating. And the, the plaque buildup build is uh, scooped out of the blood vessel and generally reconstructed with a synthetic patch to enlarge it to reduce the risk of recurrence. And uh, when somebody does that, do they need to then take blood thinners for life? What do they need to do in order to make sure that if they've had surgery on their right, for example, they don't have a problem with it clotting off or or suddenly having a reaction after surgery that leads to trouble? The uh, results are usually very good. 97% do very well after surgery, and the maintenance of this is pretty simple. It's usually an antiplatelet agent such as um, low-dose aspirin for most patients. But we also, if they're already on statin drugs for uh, for cholesterol-lowering agents, we definitely continue them on statins. And if they're not, we put them on it. It would be a wise choice to put them on statins. Do you ever do the surgery on both sides? I mean, certainly I would assume not at the same time, but if somebody has blockages in both sides, they could have a risk for having a problem. Would you do the surgery on one side, then wait a certain amount of time, then do it on the other side? Absolutely. Each of the vessels are taken on its own merit. If they're blocked 80% on one, then we would recommend surgery for one. And if they do well, then the other will be um, equally The next one that we do surgery for. Okay. And the consequences if you don't, if you do have this 80 to 90% blockage, then consequences really could be serious things like strokes, like devastating strokes. Correct. Can't move half your body, et cetera. And those are not the sorts of things that are that you would be able to just have go away later. I mean, most of those, if you've got a 90% blockage, 95%, 
Is it the actual plaque that sort of breaks off from that blockage that gets stuck in the brain and causes the problem? Yes, it's mostly, usually an embolic phenomenon where a piece of the cholesterol or calcium breaks off and goes to the brain or a piece of um, platelet, some some of the blood Something that... Mm-hmm. Either the, the blockage is breaking off or maybe it's it's causing a little bit, it's rupturing, causing a little bit of platelet aggregation or this little clot that then goes to the mm-hmm. brain. So serious consequences if you don't take care of these things. Right. And once you have a stroke, you can't take you it can't back. You can't take it back, right. Yep. And it's the horse is out of the barn and you can't do a surgery to suddenly reverse your stroke symptoms. You have to wait till the stroke resolves or improves and then perhaps in certain instances, go and then operate. But uh, we'd rather prevent Be proactive, sure, absolutely. Well, there's another part of the body I want to talk about, which a lot of people may not know about the current screening guidelines and what's available, and that's blockages in the abdominal aorta. So we've talked about the legs. We've talked about the brain. Let's talk about that blood vessel in the middle of the body called the aorta because that's another potential area where you can get blockages that can cause serious problems or you can get aneurysms that can cause problems. And that has another issue that people need to know about. So first off, tell me a little bit about what the aorta does and how somebody might know if they have a problem with it, if even they would know. Well, that, uh, Kathy, is a the most important blood vessel that feeds the lower half of the body. Um, it, it actually goes from the heart all the way down to the, the belly button level and supplies the legs, but it, feed, it supplies all the vessels, all the organs in between. But this blood vessel that uh, mo- we are most focusing on is the one that's just usually below the kidney level. And this, uh, the aorta can get uh, obstructed or blocked like the leg blood vessels with PAD, or it can degenerate where the blood vessel wall, instead of plugging up, it becomes thinner. Um, the wall does have some calcium cholesterol buildup, but the, the, the integrity of the wall deteriorates to the point they become like, um, they come weak, become weak and turn, literally looks like a balloon. And of course, the consequences can be they can rupture. And uh, if they rupture, there's about a, only about a 10% chance of surviving a rupture. So there is a test that can be done. Darcy, tell us a little bit about what that is. It's another ultrasound-related test where you can check to see if there is a problem with the aorta. How do you do that procedure? Is that as fairly as straightforward as taking a look at the arteries we call the carotids going to the brain? It is, It is uh, again, using ultrasound. Uh, uh, imaging in the uh, abdomen is always a little bit more difficult. We just have a lot of other things in the area to deal with. Um, it is the one test that we perform uh, in our lab that, that does require some preparation, but it's very simple. We just have the patients not eat anything after midnight, um, and then they come and see us first thing in the morning, and usually that's when we get the uh, best results on the on the imaging. Uh, and the reason behind that is because just the whole digestive process, uh, peristalsis, uh, produces uh, interference with the images, and we just want to get the clearest picture possible. And so it's an ultrasound. You're fasting, no needles, nope. no injections. Nope. Pretty quick. Now, Dr. Masuda, some people get this as a benefit of their Medicare insurance. So if you have a certain, I, I, what are, I mean, if it depends on if you have a smoking history, if you're of a certain age, who should get screened for these things? Well, Medicare has a, a program where they will, you can have a free screening of your abdominal aorta if you are a male smoker that has ever smoked 
100 cigarettes in your life. So you don't have to have a huge smoking history to qualify for this free screening. It's uh, usually about age 65 for men and women. The women uh, to qualify would have to at least have a family history that's positive for aneurysm disease. Aneurysms run in families in about 15% of patients. So it is important if you happen to be diagnosed with one to have your your children or siblings tested with an ultrasound, as Darcy has already described, uh, by the at least the age of 55 or older. Because you have to remember that abdominal aortic aneurysms, there are no pre-existing uh, pre, um, signs or symptoms. You don't get a warning. You don't get a symptom. You just, if you don't do anything, you get a rupture, and that is 90% chance of not doing well. And the only other way of really discovering it is uh, by a good doctor. Your, your medical doctor could un- examine your abdomen, and in only about 50% of cases, it can be potentially dis- uh, discovered by a physical exam with a pulsatile mass. Um, good doctor and a small abdomen. And a, exactly. you, you got to yeah. be able to feel in there, and that's right. sometimes that's not as easy as we think. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Elma Masuda, vascular specialist at Straub Clinic, Darcy Kessler. She is an ultrasound specialist. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the things that can happen in these blood vessels and what are the consequences if we don't take good care of them. You can join our call. You can join our show at 941-3689, calling from the neighbor islands at 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Hello, Michael Titterton here. Here at Hawaii Public Radio, we like to say that it's all about the air. We mean it, too. We're broadcasters, and nothing is more important than our air. But it's odd, because most of our studios are, in fact, below street level. That's just one of the paradoxes that makes HPR so special. Another is that we give all our programming away and then keep it going through voluntary contributions. So please, do the proper, albeit irrational, thing. And thanks. German friends discuss the top issues for them in Europe. It's not the people of, say, Greece who get that money. It's the banks who get that money. And a young Turk tells us what it's been like protesting government policies in Istanbul. Before the protests, I wasn't an activist. But after the protests, I became a professional activist, actually. Hear what Germans are talking about and what Turks are doing on the next Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday at 4 p.m. following Fresh Air. Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Elma Masuda. She's a vascular surgeon at Straub Clinic. Darcy Kessler is an ultrasound expert at Straub Clinic. And we're talking about blockages in blood vessels. We've talked a little bit about blockages in the legs called peripheral arterial disease that causes symptoms of pain in the calves like claudication, that sort of problem you get after you walk a while and your calves just feel so tight And as soon as you sit down, it's better. You start walking, it happens again. We also talked about problems with blood flow to the brain with those carotid arteries. And how do you know if you have to have a surgery to take care of that? We just talked a little bit about abdominal aortic aneurysms. This is another test that can be another problem that can be detected with a relatively simple test. Um, But it's a big, it's that blood vessel, that aorta. It's one of the most important ones of the body when it has blockages, when it has problems with with aneurysms or dilation, when you have dissection, which is another unfortunate consequence, this can be really serious. And when it is, 
You need to make sure that you get to an emergency room as soon as possible if you feel severe discomfort, but better to get checked for it before it happens. Again, we talked about this being a benefit for men over 65, smoking 100 cigarettes in your life, women if there's a family history and you're a smoker, and the fact that it can be genetic. So if you have parents that have this, you may want to get checked for it. So We've talked a little bit about these various blood vessel areas. We did have a caller during the break that wanted to know, hey, you know, I'm on a neighbor island. I'm in Kamuela. Can I get it tested there? Good news. North Hawaii Community Hospital is going to be partnering with, I think it's Queens Hospital, and certainly they will have ultrasound capabilities. Also down in Kona, I know that they do this test. So for our buddy Ben over there in Kamuela, Yes, it can be done. You don't have to come to Oahu to be able to do that. But certainly if you have concerns, you can always go ahead and do that. Now, we've talked about blood vessels in various areas of the body. And we do have a question from a shy caller who wanted to know, we talked about arteries. What about veins? You know, we've spent all of our time talking about arterial blockages. What about, we mentioned clots. What about veins? So we really haven't covered veins as much today, but we've got some time. Dr. Masuda, the biggest problem that happens in veins, do we get blockages or do we get clots? The most common problem with veins is probably varicose veins causing pain. Um, There's a number of problems that veins can cause, but if you look around, and you'll probably see one out of five adults with some venous problems. They could be these dark bluish lines on the legs or these ropey-like vessels on on the limb. And many times we think of this as purely cosmetic, but in fact, these uh, varicose veins and normal veins can cause quite a lot of symptoms of pain, discomfort, swelling, and even so much as ulceration or sores in the legs. and um, these It's are not just cosmetic. Correct. So it can actually lead to consequences. Now, we mentioned arterial blood flow ulcers. Can there also be problems if you have veins that develop ulcerations, and can that lead to troubles too? Yes, it, it can lead to sores in the legs that don't heal and eventually can be quite disabling. Uh, if, it, if it doesn't heal, it can continue to drain, cause pain, uh, a lot of uh, patients who have this can't really go to work. With, uh, otherwise, they have wrappings and dressings on their legs and can't really. So either arteries or veins could give these wounds that don't heal or these ulcers that don't heal. How do you know the difference? For the layman, it might be a little hard to know. You think it's best to see your physician to distinguish between arterial and venous problems. But in general, venous problems, if you elevate the leg, they feel better. They feel good. Um, but just the opposite with arterial disease. If you elevate a person who's significantly ischemic, they will actually get worse if, they're, if they have significant blockages of the arteries. So with arteries, you want gravity to help you Correct. bring blood flow to your legs. With veins, you want gravity to help you get the blood out of the veins, and so elevation works better. Exactly. So now varicose veins, Darcy, I'm sure you see this all the time. People come in, they want to have their veins checked. They want to know how bad they, their veins may be. What sort of testing do we do to figure that out? Uh, again, our primary weapon in, in, uh, in diagnosing varicose veins is, is ultrasound. Uh, scanning veins uh, for disease is probably a little more complicated than most of our, uh, most of our other testing uh, it requires a little bit more uh, anatomic knowledge and knowledge about blood flow and, and such, um, you know, to provide a good map. 
Uh, we, when we do our testing, we uh, not only look at the surface veins that we're able to see, but also the deep veins as well. Um, and, you know, 99% of the, uh, the time, uh, most people's veins are caused by a surface issue. Um, usually what's called the saphenous vein is, is usually the culprit behind that, and uh, that's what causes most of the varicose veins. Um, and for people who are, un- uh, uh, are not familiar with it, the saphenous vein is also the same vein that uh, is used when people have heart bypasses. And if you'll see somebody who's had a heart bypass and they have uh, an incision in their thigh, that's the vein that they, they remove. Um, of course, having said that, if you have a problem where you have varicose veins and we have to remove that vein, um, you really lose nothing in the process because that's not a usable vein for a bypass anyway. All right. We've got a caller on the line. We have Gabby from Makawao. Gabby, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, thanks. I um, have kind of an interesting question, I think, is um, years ago I was told by a naturopath, I don't remember who it was in particular, but there's lots of them. You can't you know, swing a dead cat without hitting one over here in Maui, in Makawao, but um, that if you take anywhere from 10, 20, 30,000 milligrams of vitamin C, the cheap stuff is fine, that you can actually eliminate varicose veins, and if not, you know, the little tiny ones, the spider ones, and that if not, you can at least make a huge positive difference. And they basically said that you can't take too much, back off if you get diarrhea. So I don't know if that's completely false, if it's true. What do you know about that? It's an interesting question. You know, the good news about vitamin C is that it's one of those vitamins that does not get absorbed if you take too much. So there's a couple of vitamins you don't want to take too much of, A, D, E, and K. But vitamin C, if you take too much, you just might have funny colored shishi. So it's true that you probably can't overdose on vitamin C. Your body has a protective way of handling that. Now, as far as whether or not that can prevent varicose veins, Dr. Masuda, or treat them. I've seen people who use like vitamin K creams and things, topical creams for varicose veins, but have you heard of high-dose vitamin C as a treatment? No, I've never heard of vitamin C. In fact, there is a list of several drugs that people have tried to advocate as uh, cures for venous disease, and all of them, as far as I know, have not been shown scientifically to work. Um, the best way to really treat your veins would be, it, if, if short of surgery, would be uh, elevation, exercise, and elastic support stockings. The problem with stockings, however, living in Hawaii, beautiful Hawaii, is that it's somewhat hot and there's... Ugly. Uh, yeah, exactly. And it's, it's hard to wear it to the beach and out in the... Um, you know, shopping mall, et cetera, with stockings. So I think it's, um, but it is the recommendations for at least trying to relieve yourself if you're having symptoms from varicose veins. And it, so it's, I mean, she, she said it's basically like the, the best natural cure-all for, for just increasing circulation, really helping your veins. And we were all waitresses back then and, you know, carrying heavy trays. And we got the spider veins. And there was many of us that said, wow, you know, it, it worked. But I don't know the, you know, if it's true or not. So thank you. That's an interesting question, Gabby, and certainly when we think about the pathophysiology of what's actually happening in the veins, Darcy mentioned the saphenous vein, uh, Dr. Masuda, when you have problems like that, is it because the veins themselves have a problem where they're no longer able to handle the blood flow return with, there's valves in these veins, and if they don't work and they become what we call, which is 
really a very derogatory term, incompetent veins, then they become unable to function. So really the only way to get those veins to work better would be, you mentioned, compression, elevation, exercise, keep the blood flow going. What else can people do to keep healthy veins? Is there anything else well, that... Well, I think the, the etiology of varicose veins is is not completely known, but we do know that they are sometimes familial. Uh, often there is a family member, that, that the first-degree relative of that patient who has varicose veins, my mom, my dad, my grandmother, they left me this. <laughs> And yeah, so, another way to blame the parents. You know, we're always coming, coming up with these interesting genetic medical ways to blame the parents, but okay. And um, occasionally they're associated with pregnancy, and that's a hormonal and possibly even a hydrostatic or a pressure, pressure, re- pressure from, rela- sure. related problem. And these, um, these, these are ideologies that cause the varicose veins. So occasionally it's from trauma, but, the, but really the, for the milder varices, we always try to ask them to, to use stockings or elevator exercise. Now, ex- exercise is, is a good way because it increases your mu- calf muscle pump. And in so doing, it increases the efficiency of the venous system in emptying the, the blood from the veins. Now, do you have to exercise with the stockings? Um, I've heard it both ways. So I, I think if you, it's not too hot, uh, you can wear your stockings. It probably will you help. You could try. Okay. All right. Well, we were talking about veins. We had a shy caller who called in asking about arteries again and said, can peripheral arterial disease be responsible for erectile dysfunction? And if so, what can you do about it? So when we talk about blockages in arteries, you could have a blockage going down there and it could cause a problem. What would you do about something like that? I mean, if somebody had been diagnosed with a blockage coming from one of the arteries that would go to the groin area. Is there a treatment that can be done for that? I wouldn't imagine that, I mean, maybe things like Viagra might work if they increase blood flow, but how else would you be able to treat that? That's a very uh, interesting question because there is a potential cure. It depends on the blockage and location of the blockage. There are blood vessels in the pelvis and aorta, that we just mentioned, that if you had blockages above uh, the, um, at the level of the aorta, where the aorta divides up into the leg arteries, you could potentially treat that with a lunar stent. A stent is a metal device that is cylindric, and it expands, and it can open up the blood vessels, in which case the blockage could be uh, corrected, and you can increase your blood flow to the sexual organs. So it is possible there could be a connection. Correct. But in general, you know, arterial blockages, I like to say they don't discriminate. You know, you can get blockages to the arteries of your heart. And since your heart requires 100% really of the oxygen that's being delivered, you know when that blockage is there, you will feel cardiac symptoms. And you might have heart attack symptoms or something of the like. But often we don't get the same obvious wake-up call from blood vessels that go to other parts of the body, to the legs, to the brain, the abdominal aorta. You might get blockages in these areas, and it doesn't give you that chest pain, oh, no, I'm going to go get it checked out symptom. It might be a little more subtle. But when you have, like if you find somebody who has blockages in the arteries to their legs, how high is your suspicion that they probably have blockages to their heart as well? Is there a direct connection there? Absolutely, and that is what I disclose to all of my patients, that this is 
in fact, that's one of the reasons why I asked him to work on exercise, diets, cessation of smoking, is that you, might, you, you need to protect yourself from the disease elsewhere, which can lead to critical organ damage that can be irreversible. So um, this is another reason why to look at lifestyle modification, which is something that most people can do. Now, when we talk about fear of doing the testing, mm-hmm. Darcy, you mentioned that majority of the tests that you guys do not a lot of preparation except for the one test for not eating before the abdominal aorta test. Um, but most of the testing, non-invasive, not painful, don't fear it. Is is there a sense that you get that people aren't quite sure what to expect when they show up? Oh, most definitely. Uh, you know, I think when anybody hears that they're going to be having a test involving the blood vessels, they think, well, the only way I'm going to be able to access it is through invasive methods. I have to stick a needle in or there's radiation involved. And the truth is, is, is that that's, you know, simply not the case. Uh, you know, again, you know, ultrasounds come so far uh, in the last 20 or 30 years and it's become so sensitive. And, and as time has gone on, we've gotten better diagnostically as well. We know more. We can see more. Um, as well. So people need to know that uh, as far as for vascular imaging, um, you know, it's pretty much predominantly done in a non-invasive way. So we expose the patients to no, no pain, no needles, no radiation. Most of the tests are very simple. Uh, some tests may take a little bit longer, up to an hour, hour and a half, but, uh, you know, it doesn't take much time at all. The results are immediate and there are no uh, untoward effects. You know, people who are having these other procedures are going to say, why can't I have that vascular procedure? Because I heard there's no needles and it's really not that bad. And and it's uh, you're making it sound like I want to go have vascular stuff done because it's going to be generally non-invasive and fairly comfortable Mm -hmm. and really important. Now, Dr. Masuda, what are some of the things that people just need to know about vascular disease, about trying to prevent it, or once they have it, trying to make sure it doesn't progress. Do you find that you're saying the same thing to a lot of the people you see every day? And if so, what is that? So that's an interesting question because one of the things that I, I sometimes get very excited about is has to do with carotid disease and trying to reverse the plaque. Um, most people think that once you have a blockage, it's there and you can't do anything about it, you can't dissolve it, and you'd have to just hopefully just live with it. But the carotid area is an, an, an amazing area for for blockages because there has there is scientific data that has shown through serial ultrasound uh, scans um, like Darcy, Darcy does daily, but also by other imaging and angiography that the if um, people alter their diet, change their lifestyle, exercise, avoid smoking, there is something called plaque regression. And uh, you can see it on the ultrasound. You can see it on angiography. And it's a, it's a known phenomenon. And hopefully, if you fall in that category where your blockages is like, say, 50 to 70% and you don't have any symptoms, then hopefully with uh, those uh, methods, you can reduce that plaque to even less than 50%. So really, you've seen regression. Darcy, you've, you've seen regression of these plaques. You've done the serial ultrasounds, and they're smaller. Oh, yes, you can definitely. You can actually measure the percentage of the blood vessel uh, lumen or the size of the blood vessel, and we can tell. Uh, you know, Unfortunately, for, the, for many of the patients, because they don't practice lifestyle modification, uh, we actually see more progression of disease than regression of disease. But it could regress. It could. If you really worked hard on it. All right. Well, that's motivational. I want to thank both of you for sharing your expertise with us on the show today. 
Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Kathy. All right. Dr. Elna Masuda is a vascular surgeon and expert at Straub Clinic. Darcy Kessler runs the vascular lab. Without her, we wouldn't know what to do with ultrasound testing. If you want to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on Facebook. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week. We're going to be talking about some more health topics that we hope you want to hear about. That's going to be Monday at 5, right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then.